never forget um, a children's story when the scripture was a scripture we heard this morning and the children's story person as opposed to making it relevant to the children asked the children if they knew any of the Ten Commandments and they began to say a few because these were you know church kids and my um, seven-year-old pops up with thou shalt not commit adultery <laughs> and, and and the person leading the children's story said do you know what adultery means don't, don't ask a question in children's story if you don't know the answer, you know, anticipating the answer. And my child, you know, such a, no, what? <laughs> it was an awkward moment in children's times. But thank you for your children's message this morning. It is good to be with you, and I bring you greetings from your sister 29 congregations across the Pacific Northwest. One of the great joys I have in visiting congregations is to sing the hymns that I don't usually sing, and I, I love number 55, um, Love the Lord Your God. It was a, a very important song that my family and I sang a lot during um, the discernment process about returning to ministry in about 1996 when it was copyrighted. So our congregation must have started singing it very early. How do you feel about boundaries? Do you like limits? Is structure a comfort word for you? Or do these words remind you of a necktie that might be tied a little too tight? Or a waistband that might be a little too snug? Something you might be forced into on occasion, but nothing you would choose to wear. My guess is that most of us are a little bit ambivalent about boundaries. We appreciate the need for personal boundaries that keep us from being overwhelmed by our activities or by others' demands. We appreciate boundaries that protect our personal space and needs. But we are not so appreciative of boundaries that limit our freedom to explore and try new things or that seem to keep us in a box that somebody else has created. And then there are so many different kinds of boundaries from barbed wire fences and demilitarized zones between warring nations to baby blankets wrapped tightly to swaddle a newborn. How do we feel about boundaries? Different ways at different times, perhaps. The concept of a centered set versus a bounded set has been used in recent years to try to bring some understanding to our different ways of thinking about church. Are we defined as a church community by what lies at the center of our lives together, at the heart of our faith? Or are we defined by the limits of our faith, the things that separate us from those who do not share our faith, the outer boundaries of our community? One congregation I was part of was very fond of the centered set idea. They loved the idea of a church as people being gathered around a campfire and as they draw closer to the fire, they also are drawing closer to one another. It's a beautiful image. Gathered around a fire on a cold, dark night, seeing the light and feeling the warmth. But even in that image, if you push it out far enough, there is a point where the light no longer shines into the shadows. And there is a point where you can no longer feel the warmth of the fire. It may not be a barbed wire fence, but there is an outer boundary even in that image. 
Every community has limits and identifying marks. And without them, a community is not recognizable even to itself. Identifying marks of shared community abound in these times. Red baseball caps, knitted pink hats, a person's posture during the playing of the national anthem, the media you consume and the media you rebut, particular words and ways of describing things. Communities of various types all have ways of marking who is part of them and who is not. And whenever I see groups gathering themselves with these distinct markers and saying who is in and who is out, I'm reminded of a column that Kathleen Kern wrote in the Mennonite World Review back then after the attacks on the World Trade Center and the Pentagon in 2001. She was reflecting on the fact that at that time, after those attacks, American flags began to spring up anywhere. And I know that that was 17 years ago now, but some of you may remember that. All of a sudden, there were American flags in everyone's yards, on cars, on buildings, everywhere. And she said she didn't understand what that was all about. Why were they all, why all of a sudden did this happen? And a friend explained it like this. See, it's like cows. When a cow senses a predator nearby, it begins mooing. Basically, it's saying, hey, I'm a cow. Are you a cow too? And if something moves back, it thinks, great, we're both cows. If there's something scary out there, we should stand really close together. And all the cows begin to do the same, mooing, recognizing one another, and moving closer together until they are gathered into a big bunch. That's what those flags were all about, she said. Symbols to say, are you like me? Good, because there's something scary out there and we should stand really close to each other. Every community finds ways to identify itself and to mark its boundaries. The Ten Commandments that we heard read this morning have often been used as a symbol in ways I didn't understand until I learned about cows. A shooting takes place in a school. Let's post the Ten Commandments on school walls. A terrorist blows up a building. Let's post the Ten Commandments on the memorial. A judge responds to a stream of violent offenders by posting the Ten Commandments in his courtroom. It is as if these words are thought to have some magical power, as if just by reading them, people will change their behaviors. We'll care for each other. We'll uphold the fragile social contract that binds us together. It doesn't make any sense at all until you think about cows. Until you realize that people are gathering together saying, this world is a scary place. There are things I don't like and I don't understand happening. Do you know the Ten Commandments? Good, we better stand close together then. And in one sense, those who want to use the Ten Commandments that way are right. The Ten Commandments are about binding together a community, a community that needs to stay close together because the world is a scary place. But in another sense, those who want to post the Ten Commandments on every wall are wrong. Just posting them will not protect anyone. Even teaching children to recite them really doesn't matter. 
because those words alone cannot create the community of care that we all long for. The Ten Commandments are not ethical imperatives given in a vacuum. They're not abstractions for defining moral behavior. Although some of them do share with other moral codes a kind of timelessness and universality. But they don't belong to all people as a generic way of being good because they were given to a particular people in a particular place that worshiped a particular God and had a particular social structure. To take them entirely out of that context and plaster them on the walls of buildings in another place and time is to miss their meaning and purpose. And it turns them from a blessing into a bludgeon. The Ten Commandments weren't given as abstract rules for the world to follow, but as a gift to God's people. If I understand correctly how this narrative lectionary that you are following works, it's guiding you through the story of God and God's people from creation through the story of Abraham and Sarah. And today we are joining the people as they traveled in the desert wilderness. They had been delivered from slavery. God has been providing them with food to eat, quail and manna, and sweet water to drink on their journey. Then after many long months, Moses brought the people to the foot of a mountain. And though the desert was dry and bare, the mountain was lush and green and covered with grass and flowers and trees. And Moses and the people set up camp at the base of the mountain. Then Moses heard the voice of God speaking and brought the word of God to the people. I am the Lord your God who brought you out of slavery from the land of Egypt. I am passionate about you. I will punish those who reject me but I will show steadfast love to those who love me and keep my commandments. And then come the words that we're so familiar with. The Ten Commandments aren't a list of rules and regulations. Those will come later in the story. But this is a relationship, a promise, what we call a covenant between God and the people that God has claimed. The phrase, I am a jealous God, means God was passionate about the people. It's that feeling of a lover toward the beloved. Our Bibles translate that word here as jealous, but other places it's translated to refer to a groom's feeling of passion for his bride. It is intense, focused, consuming love that God has for these people, and that's what produces the Ten Commandments. And these words come to the people as the revelation of God's self. They hear God's voice. God is present with them. The word God, words God gives in these commandments are a love letter. They answer the question, what do you do after you say, I love you? The first four commandments are all about this relationship of love between God and the people. They're not a test to decide if the people are worthy of God's love but a way to respond to God's overwhelming love for them, the love they've already known by being released from slavery and carried on eagles' wings to this place of safety. And the final six describe how God's people are to treat each other, how they are res to respond to God's love in their relationship with those who are also God's beloved. 
and the keeping of this covenant forms a boundary for these people there at the foot of this mountain. It's a boundary that defines who they are. It's a boundary that keeps God's people safe as they stand close together in God's presence. The Ten Commandments form a bond of rights and responsibilities that guarantee dignity and well-being are possible for all people. They point toward fullness of life and harmony and away from conflict and constriction. If you look closely at the wording of the Ten Commandments, you will notice that they are specifically addressed to male property owners among the people, to people who have wives and sons and daughters and livestock and slaves, the ones who have power in that culture and could use it to exploit others. But the commandments give those powerful few directions that explicitly protect the more vulnerable in their community. Everyone is to have a day of rest, even those who've been forced into labor. They are to care for the elderly even when they are a burden. They are not to exploit the women in their community sexually by using each other's wives. They are not to manipulate the poor and take their meager belongings. They are not to take advantage of the vulnerable by lying when it is one person's word against another and their position of influence might give their word more weight. In the context of a patriarchal culture, the commandments are a remarkable structure of accountability for the powerful. They formed a boundary around the community that kept it safe for everyone in the community. So this is why our program in Mennonite Church USA around pastoral ethics is called Healthy Boundaries, because boundaries are about limiting the powerful to protect the vulnerable. The Ten Commandments become a powerful symbol of what it means to live as God's people in a community that shares God's care. But when they are imposed on people who have not known God's liberating love, they become not a bond of well-being in the community of the beloved, but a burden too heavy to bear. Should an abused child be asked to honor the parents who have violated their parental trust? Should those struggling to make a living wage be chastised for desiring the food and housing and health care that those with greater wealth take for granted? Posted on the wall of a building, imposed by the powerful on those less so, cut off from community and covenant, separated from God's passionate love, the Ten Commandments are stripped of all life. Outside of the faith community to which they belong, they become an empty symbol. The power that they have to be a means of grace rather than an accusation comes from the relationship between God and the community that they are given to affirm and define. God's self-revelation did not end with the voice on the mountain. God's passionate love for God's beloved people continued and continues and it is God's self-revelation in the person of Jesus that forms our community today. In Jesus, we discover God's passionate love for us. In Jesus' teachings, we find our identity as a community, both the center and the boundaries. We are drawn together with Jesus as the center of our faith. 
And when asked which commandments were most important, Jesus said these, Love the Lord your God with all your heart and soul and mind and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. These are the commandments that shape us as a community, that form our boundaries and keep us safe. And you can't keep those two without keeping the other ten, because it's not possible to love God and value anything else more highly. It's not possible to love God and reduce God to our limited images or use the name of God for self-serving ends. We neither love God nor our neighbors when we make work the focus of our existence and don't take regular times to be refreshed and renewed. It's not possible to love your neighbor and treat your family members with contempt. It's not possible to love your neighbor and violate your own or others' marriage vows. You can't love people and kill them or steal from them or lie about them or to them. It's just not possible. And the desire for instant gratification and self-indulgence that fuels a consumer way of life cannot coexist with love for your neighbor. Mennonite Church USA is currently engaging in a renewal process called Journey Forward. The process began in the Future Church Summit in Orlando in 2017 and has continued as the themes that emerged there were redefined and reshaped into a document called Renewed Commitments. And now congregations like yours are being invited to explore those commitments and offer feedback and input in how they might shape our lives as communities of faith each in our specific context. The renewed commitments say that we are called to be people who follow Jesus, witness to God's peace, and experience transformation. These commitments are meant to be a center we can all be drawn to. But as we explore them, they might also be a boundary that holds us in, that keeps us from wandering out of the light and away from the warmth of the campfire, they're meant to be ways of being that both pull us and push us, free us and restrain us, and in doing so, shape us. Shape us into people whose lives bear the marks of Christ's love in the ways that we love our God, ourselves, our neighbors, and each other. Even if you do not participate in the adult education class that your congregation is having, this fall using the Journey Forward curriculum, and I hope you will, um, you can still explore this renewed commitment document. And I hope you will also follow the blog posts at MennoniteUSA.org where people are telling stories about how following Jesus, witnessing to God's peace, and experiencing transformation are shaping their lives and the lives of their congregations. As we think about community, both in this congregation and in the wider church, the fire at the center toward which we all are drawn is God's self-revelation in the love of Jesus Christ. But perhaps the boundary, those outer limits, beyond which light and warmth can no longer be sensed, are the same in some way for us as it was for Moses and the Israelites, structures for responding to God's passionate love, borders that keep us from harming the weakest among us, limits that ultimately give us greater freedom 
like those described in the Ten Commandments. The cows draw together, presenting any predator with a mass of hooves and their less vulnerable flanks. But their real protection comes not from their herd instinct, but from the wrangler who watches over them through the night and draw, drives off the wolves and bears. And so it is with us. We are drawn together toward our center in Christ and have boundaries to help us live together that shape us and define us as a community that help make the church a place of freedom and safety for everyone. But it is the one who watches over us, who gave us those boundaries, whose love is a passionate fire in our very hearts, who keeps us safe. Thanks be to God.